Hello everybody, I'm Kiora. In today's session, uh, we will be talking about Victorian government's enrollment of smart onboard mass systems. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Austroads and I will be moderating today's session together with John Gordon. John is the Manager of Strategic Development at Transport Certification Australia and he will moderate the Q&A at the end of the webinar. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Australia is based in Sydney and so today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A little bit about Austroads and TCA. Austroads is the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. TCA is a national organization that enables improved public purpose outcomes from road transport by providing assurance services related to transport technologies, including administration of the national telematics framework. Austroads and TCA are both governed by the Austroads board. A bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for about 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The slides are, can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. Also let us know if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely uh, with your internet connection. Closing your browser and rejoining the session uh, via your email registration usually helps. This session has been recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. So our presenters for today are Gavin Hill and Ian Mond. Gavin is the General Manager of Strategy and Delivery at Transport Certification Australia and Ian is the Manager uh, Land Freight Systems uh, Freight Victoria at the Department of Transport and Planning Victoria. Welcome to you both and over to you Gavin. Thanks Ekaterina and uh, good afternoon everyone. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm going to um, provide a bit of an overview in terms of the National Telematics Framework and um, I'll endeavour to provide some context to what um, Ian's going to be talking to about the changes that are taking place in, in the state of Victoria. Um, to explain what we're doing, it's, it's useful to step backwards and what I want to do here is, is just highlight the fact that in the year 2023, a large proportion of commercial vehicles have some form of telematics fitted to their vehicle. Um, and this results in an unprecedented volume of data being generated every single day on our road networks. However, this data that's, that's being harnessed from vehicles isn't always readily available to governments, including road agencies and regulators. And, and why does this occur? It occurs because Telematics systems and services are being um, commissioned into commercial vehicles for a range of reasons that don't necessarily relate directly to uh, government policy. And these might relate to things like improving driver safety, uh, might be asset utilisation, 
um, and, and maybe to do with driver behaviour and even things like fuel consumption. These are all good business practices that drive the use of telematics. However, um, we have this, this paradox where despite the uh, volume of data being generated from vehicles on our road networks, um, it's not available to people in a readily available form. And some refer to this as the problem of dark data. Um, and what we do through the National Telematics Framework um, is to overcome this problem through a structured arrangement of interactions between different parties. So if you're not familiar with the National Telematics Framework, um, it's simply a managed interaction of actors um, that are administered by, by TCA. And if we talk about the three key actors that operate within our framework, I'll start with the top left being authorities. And this is a general term used to describe road managers and regulators and the like who um, apply the use of telematics for some condition of access or operation of a vehicle on the public road network. And you'll hear from Ian um, in a few moments around um, the, the decisions and the policies that have been instituted by uh, the Department of Transport and Planning in Victoria around the use of TMA and Smart OBM. Now, what that does, when authorities make decisions to use telematics, we then have application service providers who enter the framework and provide services uh, to transport operators. And the transport operators want to take advantage of the conditions and the operating arrangements which have been offered by authorities. So when we talk about telematics and digital technology, there's a really strong relationship between what authorities do, how transport operators respond to those policy decisions made by, by authorities, and the critical role of application service providers, technology providers who give life to these decisions and policies that are um, introduced by authorities. TCA's role in all this is to manage the national telematics framework and to manage the interactions between um, those three other parties. And by doing this, we're able to derive um, structured, efficient, standardised arrangements across the country. And so that um, when you, um, if you're a transport operator, it means that you can um, derive a service from an application service provider that's not only recognised in the state of Victoria, but it's recognised across the country. And, uh, and that means we might be talking to Ian today, for example, around what's happening in Victoria. Tomorrow we might be talking to New South Wales or Queensland. Regardless of their policy positions, it means that we have one common approach to the use of technology and data. And that's what TCA's role is here. That's what we do through the National Telematics Framework. Might just go to the next slide, Ekaterina, if we can. Um, we don't have time today to go through um, some of the, um, the components or the machinery that gives effect to the, uh, the telematics framework. But if you are interested, there's plenty of reading material on our website. Um, this is just a snapshot of the kind of information that you can find. Um, and, and you'll note, 
that it's not just a technical framework. Um, it's a framework that's underpinned by standards, um, data transfer arrangements, um, and how we provide assurance, how TCA provides assurance around the use of technology and data so that authorities like Ian can derive confidence in the use of technology and data uh, when they're being applied to uh, road access arrangements. Um, if, um, besides those ready materials, if, you, if, any, if anyone here today is interested in wanting to know more about the framework, uh, please reach out. We're more than happy to discuss in more detail um, how it operates and uh, how, it's, uh, how it translates into the activation of policy initiatives which advance productivity and safety. One of the other things the, um, the framework does though is from a consumer viewpoint, so I'm talking about transport operators here, it offers choice to transport operators. And that means that because we are performance orientated, we're outcomes focused, it means that different technology providers can come into the framework and drive competition and choice to transport operators. Um, our requirements that we specify through things like specifications and standards can be met in many different ways. And that means there's no single way of achieving those, those performance outcomes around telematics and data. It also means that um, um, we see intense competition between telematics providers who, all, who uh, strive to offer the best and latest technologies into the market. And that benefits consumers um, in obvious ways. The other thing that the framework does is offer some protections to transport operators and consumers. And that means that um, if a, a, a telematics service or a smart OBM system has been recognised and approved by TCA, then consumers can purchase those systems and services with confidence. What's most important though is at the end of the day, all these uh, business processes, specifications, contractual arrangements and so forth, it enables standardised data reporting and um, we do that through the telematics analytics platform. And um, you'll get to see a live demonstration of the telematics analytics platform uh, towards the end of this presentation. So the power of data is being harnessed through a structured arrangement between those actors and it means that um, we're able to, to, to deliver real benefits to road managers like uh, the Victorian Department. One final thing about the National Telematics Framework is that uh, it's recognised globally through the International Standards Organisation. And this is worth pointing out because what we've done through the National Telematics Framework uh, might have had its origins here in Australia, but it's now being uh, recognised globally through ISO 15638. So if you're interested in knowing more, certainly look at the, uh, the documents on TCA's website. Also have a look if you're really interested in how it aligns with ISO 15638 uh, and you'll see how other regions globally are adopting this performance um, outcome focused arrangement uh, that we've instituted here in Australia through the framework um, and how it's being leveraged elsewhere. 
Um, I'll skip through these next few slides. I just want to focus in on some of the other roles that TCA performs, and this is around the certification and registration of uh, providers of technology and the type approval of hardware, such as telematics devices and smart ABM systems. And that's really important um, to ensure that the technologies that um, are used within these policy initiatives are fit for purpose and meet the intended um, objectives of, of those policies and programs um, brought forward by government. The other thing we do is offer the TAP, uh, the Telematics Analytics Platform. Um, I don't want to steal Ian's thunder, uh, but you'll see a live demo shortly around that. Um, basically, it's our, it's our viewing platform to external users on data that's collected by application service providers from transport operators' vehicles, which are enrolled um, in schemes and applications of the framework. And we'll talk about a bit more about that shortly. Um, authorities, as I've mentioned previously, um, have different tools um, available uh, through the framework, which they can leverage. And um, this is a balance around cost effectiveness, flexibility, and ultimately the, um, the objectives of why an authority wants to collect data in the first place. Um, through the framework, there are a variety of different applications which are available for use by road managers and regulators. Uh, basically, um, there are different tools for different jobs. And uh, for those who are familiar with the IAP, the Intelligent Access Program, it's been around for 15 odd years. Uh, it's now complemented by newer applications which better meet the needs of road managers going forward. And uh, that includes the road infrastructure management application. And what we're going to talk about today is the telematics monitoring application. Um, it means, in short, um, it's the right tool for the right job and there's no um, extraordinary cost or burden placed on the transport industry um, which exceeds the the need for the, uh, uh, the use of the technology to deliver an intended outcome. So what are the differences then? Um, what, what we'll do here is do a very high level run across the top of these of the three primary applications which are made available through the framework. And the IAP sits at the, the very right of this table. Now down on the left of the table, we've got some key features which differentiate three, the three applications. But the key thing here is that the IAP is a evidentiary quality, regulatory grade, high integrity telematics application. And the data that's used uh, by uh, the IAP system can be used by the NHVR and other regulators, and it can be used for direct enforcement and compliance. Now, if you go to the left, you then move down to what's known as the telematics monitoring application. Um, it foregoes the focus on compliance and enforcement. It's a more flexible and cost-effective application, which leverages industry standards around the use of technology um, already used in vehicles and which are already supplied in the marketplace um, by telematics providers. Um, it can still be used for compliance management, but it doesn't have that regulatory rigour that the IAP does. And a key differentiator between the TMA and IAP applications is that the IAP generates what's known as non-compliance reports. 
non-compliance reports identify where a vehicle may have um, uh, travelled outside of its conditions of operation, which have been granted to that vehicle uh, by the appropriate authority. TMA does not do that, so it doesn't shine a light on where there might be possible breaches um, or operating arrangements that contravene um, the conditions of access which have been granted. We go to the far left to the road infrastructure management application. Um, this is our lowest level of assurance application. It's our most flexible one. And that's consistent with the objectives of the, of the application itself. The RIM application provides people like Ian as a road manager, far greater visibility uh, and understanding of the footprint of a large population of vehicles operating on the road network. Now, what does that mean? This is about aggregating and de-identifying data from lots and lots of vehicles, putting it into a mixing bowl and then presenting it back uh, in terms of what's happening on the network. And we do that through heat maps and other visualisations, which you'll see shortly. So, as you can see through these different tools, you have different serving suggestions at the bottom. And RIM is great for road use planning and analysis. The IAP is great for higher risk vehicle activities and where road managers and regulators might want to manage particular risks around vehicle operations. And then TMA is, is sort of in the sweet spot in the middle, which um, provides opportunities to use telematics for lower risk activities, but also with a focus on um, education and regulatory improvement activities rather than direct enforcement and prosecutions. So I trust that this sort of um, simple explanation of the three differences, uh, the, the key differences between the three applications provides some context in terms of uh, uh, what we now offer through the, through the framework. I'll now talk about where Smart Onboard Mass fits into the picture. And at the moment, we have this truck on the screen and we have a little Wi-Fi symbol out the front. That represents what telematics has traditionally been. It's typically been around the prime mover, the location of the prime mover, um, and providing insights to road managers and regulators around where uh, those vehicles are operating. When we move to Smart Onboard Mass, we add additional components uh, to the vehicle, which enable us to capture other data fields, um, uh, which relate to axle, axle masses and the gross vehicle mass of vehicle combinations. So if we go to the next slide, we'll talk a bit about onboard mass because <clears throat> onboard mass isn't particularly new. And onboard mass systems have been used for decades in the transport sector. And typically, they've been fairly rudimentary and they've been known as things like onboard scales, onboard weighing. And more recently, we've also had uh, things like air pressure, suspensions, being able to derive mass measurements and also electronic braking systems, which uh, in modern trailers and modern combinations can also be used uh, for, uh, for mass measurement. So what makes an onboard mass system smart is its ability not just to weigh and display the weight of, of axles and the gross combination, 
but to generate digital data um, in those systems, which then can be uh, sent to a telematics service. And that enables location data from the prime mover to be combined and fused together with mass data from individual axles and the gross combination mass. The other side benefit of using smart ABM is that uh, when you know how many axles are being uh, transported by a prime mover, you can reasonably deduce what kind of vehicle configuration um, um, the vehicle or the prime mover is operating in. So this is enormously useful uh, information for road managers and regulators alike. Um, and it's for that reason, and, and Ian will you know, speak to this further, uh, smart ABM changes, can change the way that we manage our road networks because it provides um, access to information that we've never had access to before. And uh, when we're talking about managing road networks, it provides our, uh, our bridge engineers and road network managers far greater insights into the rate of consumption um, that assets are experiencing based on this important information. I'll also point out that all smart ABM systems are type approved by TCA. Um, and if we go to the next slide, you can see there's a whole marketplace here of um, approved smart ABM systems. Um, if I go back to my earlier comments about consumer choice, um, there is lots of choice uh, for transport operators when it comes to selecting a, a suitable smart ABM system. Because we are performance orientated, not all smart ABM systems um, have the same kind of technology being deployed, um, and there are different ways to achieve the same outcome. Um, now, what this represents here is how the Eastern Seaboard, including Tasmania, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland, have all recently introduced um, new policy initiatives which leverage the use of TMA and the use of smart onboard mass. And these are related to specific PBS combinations operating under a specific scheme that we administer through the National Telematics Framework. A scheme, by the way, is just a set of business rules which apply to the use of TMA and Smart OBM. And um, it relates specifically to um, why the data is being collected and how it can be used. As I was mentioning earlier, um, because the National Telematics Framework has a national focus, it means that if you're a Victorian transport operator, and you want to travel between New South Wales and Queensland as an interstate operator, then you only need to conform with one set of um, technology products and services. So if you get a smart ABM system installed to meet Victoria's requirements, then it's now equally recognised in New South Wales, Queensland, and for that matter, Tasmania. And this really matters because up until late last year, we still had different um, conditions were, which were being applied um, in in some states. So this is a this is a significant uh, step forward in terms of national harmonisation and consistency, and it takes out some of the challenges that the transport sector were experiencing when it came to uh, trying to make the right purchasing decisions and to navigate the different technology uh, requirements that apply between different jurisdictions. And what we're going to talk about today is the Victorian 
um, TMA and smart ODM and um, rollout. And if we go to the next slide, Ekaterina, I think that's where I hand over to Ian. So um, I'll hand over to you and um, I'll see all of you um, at the end of this webinar for some Q&A. So I look forward to that. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Gavin. That was uh, great. Actually, I probably don't have to say very much. You've, you've said 95% of it, so thank you. So yeah, again, my name's Ian Mond. I'm the manager of uh, Land Freight Systems. And in the background, and literally in the background right there, is uh, Zita Altman. And she'll be uh, in a second uh, running, silently running uh, the TAP system. So we can show you some of the uh, smart onboard mass uh, applications. Because uh, so it is a real thing. This isn't theoretical anymore. This is, hap this is happening right now. So in regards to the application of smart onboard mass in Victoria, I've got here a bit of a potted history. Uh, so back, uh, several years back, um, we started foreshadowing in our policies the need for smart onboard mass. Uh, so every permit that was issued to heavy vehicle operators going as far back as I believe around 2016 had in the permit a statement that when smart onboard mass uh, it becomes available that it would apply to that specific vehicle. Now I'm sure most operators ignored that condition but it was there and it was in our uh, policies going back to those days as well and that there's an example of the original policy that was written back then uh, with that little uh, third point there which is uh, which says that while fitment of an approved OBM system has been specified as an access condition it is recognised that such systems are not currently available etc. Accordingly, this requirement is waived until such time as when advice is provided by VicRoads that an OBM system must be fitted. So in short, we were saying back then that the, system, the technology wasn't ready yet, but we knew it was coming. And so when it came, you, operator, would be expected to fit it. So that takes me to the picture there of me looking very smart in a suit at speaking at the VTA conference in 2021. It feels well, I think it was. It was. It was. It was in between lockdowns, from memory. Um, so at that conference, I uh, at that stage, smart onboard mass had become a reality, and so that was the first time that Victoria and myself had said that that smart onboard mass was now a requirement in this state. At that conference, I did state that we would require smart onboard mass to be um, fitted by November 2021. So that, so that picture there was taken in March, and I said that we, you had until November 2021. When I said that, I was pretty sure that, that very few would be able to comply, because post that meeting, I was inundated with questions about that, especially from, uh, less from heavy vehicle operators, and more from uh, suppliers um, of, of, the, of the scales, because uh, COVID was having an effect on the supply chain. And, op and, and the suppliers were struggling to get parts from China that they needed to, to do the work. So we got into the business of giving extensions uh, from, from the get-go. And uh, uh, one of my team, Luther Cox, who some of you, uh, and I'm not sure who's here, but some of you may be aware of, started to provide extensions to individual heavy vehicle uh, operators of the, the relevant vehicles, which I'll get to in a sec. Uh, to allow them to operate uh, post-November 2021. And we've kept those extensions going uh, up until today. And I'll talk a bit more about that later, although pretty soon. So next slide, please. 
So the previous slide was really to say that smart onboard mass has been a thing for Victoria for seven years. Um, at that, uh, just quickly at that uh, conference, and like I said, I did get inundated with questions, but no one questioned the fact that we, we'd been pushing it for some time. But which vehicles does it apply to in Victoria? Well, it applies to any multi-combination vehicle that exceeds 68 and a half tonnes. So essentially B doubles, A doubles, B triples, AB triples, and whatever other uh, vehicle we uh, allow on the network that's uh, in excess of 68 and a half tonnes. At the moment, uh, the largest vehicle we allow is an AB triple at 113 and a half tonnes. So that's uh, th that's the first one. And then the second one are uh, single articulated vehicles that exceed 46, essentially quad axle semi-trailers. Uh, that's what that's code for. Uh, that's really the only vehicle uh, that does that. Um, although we'll get to the third dot point in a second. Uh, but essentially a quad axle semi-trailer that generally runs at 50 and a half tonnes, uh, higher uh, smart onboard mass is required on those. What we're starting to see is these wonderful new innovations coming through PBS, which is split axles. So it's where an, uh, an operator uh, is getting a manufacturer to build a trailer with a triaxle group, but the triaxle group has been split. So you've got a tandem axle and a single axle. And the tandem is, they want, they want 17 tonne, and the single axle, they want nine or 10 tonnes. Uh, it varies, because in Victoria, we do allow 10 tonne on a single dual axle. I'm not gonna go into the policy weeds, but it's usually 17 and nine. So that's 26 tonne on the trailer plus the prime mover, which is generally 23 and a half. So that's like a 49 and a half tonne vehicle. And those vehicles also uh, require um, smart onboard mass. The reason why I've said that exceeds 43 and a half tonnes is that it's, those vehicles don't automatically get higher mass limits uh, because they're non-standard, they have these split axles. They all do automatically get general mass limits, concessional mass limits, but not necessarily higher mass limits at 46 tonnes. I, I acknowledge that I'm going into the weeds here a bit. So if you are thinking of purchasing, and you're an operator who's thinking of purchasing a split axle uh, trailer, before you do that, please, I beg of you, come speak to us first, because they also have limited access on the network, regardless of the application of smart onboard mass. So they're the vehicles that require smart onboard mass. And now it's uh, in the time for the presentation. So we're gonna have a look now uh, at the telematics analytics platform. So there's a bit of uh, sharing of the screens going on here. Um, there we go, well, that was quicker than I thought. So we are actually getting data right now. So there are well over a hundred heavy vehicles, uh, high productivity freight vehicles. So those that exceed those masses that I spoke of before, who are now providing data uh, through to TCA, and then via this uh, tap, the TAP system that Gavin spoke about before. This is just one of the dashboards, the TAP uh, that we have under TAP, and this is the, the the current OBM statistical dashboard, onboard mass statistical dashboard. Um, and I'm just going to Zeta will just Zeta's running it. Uh, I'm not running it, so she'll just uh, show you all the bits and pieces. But what that shows you straight away is we can see those lines there are indicative of uh, the vehicles, uh, where the vehicles are running. So that gives you an idea of uh, uh, running and we're getting weight data coming from all those lines. And when you start to highlight separate lines or, or look for specific, as you can see on the left-hand bit there, you can actually look up road names, LGAs, et cetera. You start to get uh, um, an inf information there and you see we've got Western Freeway there. You start to get information on what actually, um, what mass is being run at. So what, what comes through there, 
uh, is that um, the average mass, so the and this this minus is the tear weight. So this is payload. The average payload on the Western Highway uh, at the moment is around 56 ton, and we've seen a maximum mass of about 94 ton, which makes sense because we do allow AB triples to run uh, over that network. Some some of which are limited because of bridges that limit the mass. But uh, yeah, so so that all 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 adds up. Now you'll note there that I don't know uh, based on that data who the operators are. It's all de-identified. So all we are getting is the overall uh, mass. Uh, one thing that's missing that is going to be added in the next month or so, although John can uh, contradict me if he wants to, is that we will know how many vehicles uh, are, are operating uh, but that, are, that are providing that data so that we can start to do some in-depth uh, calculations around payload averages. And why is that important? Because, as I said before, there are several bridges on the Western Highway and on the Victorian Road Network that cannot accommodate a heavy vehicle at full weights. And so we need to be able to show government uh, through business cases uh, that there is a need to upgrade those structures and what it will mean if they are upgraded. And so using this sort of data and to show that the payload that we're seeing while still high, 56 tonne, that's reasonably, that's reasonable, is not as much as could be we could be seeing on the Western Highway. We could get more if certain structures, like there's a structure near Dimbula and there's a couple of structures near Stall, if they were upgraded, it would increase that payload. So this is not to do with compliance. This is purely to do with uh, uh, providing extra data to our, uh, our regions so they can put up business cases that are more policy and evidence-based. Because at the moment, a lot of those bridge business cases are based on, not, I wouldn't say guesswork, because it's not guesswork, but it's more traffic counts and those sorts of things. Whereas this, this sort of data gives us actual figures, genuine figures that are real. And so it makes it, makes it provides a richer and more robust uh, story. So uh, as you can see there, there's a data range uh, from March uh, to November. So we are getting reasonably up-to-date uh, data. It, it's constantly coming through. Um, at the moment, there's about 100 odd vehicles giving this data now. By the end of this, well, before the end of this, so in the next few months, actually, I don't know why I'm saying in this year, in the next few months, uh, it'll be well over six to 700 vehicles. And so the more vehicles, the richer that data set. Again, and I'm going to reiterate this because everyone asks, it is de identified. I have no idea who any of these companies are, who any of these vehicles are, and this data is not being used for compliance sake. But I will put a caveat on that. And the caveat is that at some point the NHVR will, because uh, they're the ones who get the, the, the uh, more granular data, at some point they will have access to smart onboard mass data. And yes, there will be opportunities for them to, to look at uh, um, a situation where a vehicle may be running over mass on certain structures. So there is an enforcement aspect on that. But DTP, so the department, us, we won't be running that aspect at all. Uh, we will use this data and provide it to our bridge engineers so they can see over certain structures what sort of mass is coming going across that structure. It's important for them in terms of maintenance and renewal uh, about uh, over certain structures, but again, not a compliance activity. That's more to get enough maintenance money uh, to ensure that bridges are kept up to scratch. So um, that's that's about it. On the, I don't think we need to do more there. Um, so, that, but that just—I just wanted to show you that we are getting the data. This is not a theoretical anymore. This is this is a real thing. So we'll just go to the final slide uh, there, um, which is coming. Yep, yeah, coming now. That's great. Thanks. So, 
as I said, Victoria announced this back in March and we have been providing extensions to operators since then. And uh, we've continued to do so throughout all of 2021, well, for, since March 2021, through all of 2022 and into 2023. And essentially what we're saying now is that all eligible vehicles will need to be fitted with smart onboard mass by 30th of June, 2023. If you haven't fitted the technology and you don't have a really, really, really good reason why, and it's gonna to have to be a terrifically good reason why, uh, your vehicle for the time that it's not fitted with the technology will be reduced back to uh, HML limits. So 68 and a half tonnes or 46 tonnes via a permit. Now, the moment you fit the technology and it's running, you'll go back to the masses you were running at prior. So this is not trying to be punitive, but it's simply drawing a line in the sand because uh, we have concerns uh, that and we have seen it um, that some operators are using these extensions uh, to just uh, push on a cost that they inevitably will have to take on. But that's not most of the operators. In fact, based on the extensions we've given and the people we're seeing come online, uh, more than half have already uh, committed so of, the, of the vehicles that are eligible. And we're seeing more and more every day. So that's great. I, uh, but I do know, I'm, I already know because <laughs> I've done this for some time, that, that in May, someone will come to me and say, oh, we're not ready. There, I'm, and I know there's only uh, 85 people here today, but send the message out far and wide that uh, people need to have a really, really good excuse as to why uh, they're going to go past June 30 because we've given off operators over two years of uh, warning. So that's all I wanted to speak about, but if there's a key message to come out of this, uh, several key messages. Victoria uh, announced this several years ago. We have provided extensions over that time. Those extensions are coming uh, to an end, 30th of June, 2023, and uh, that the data we're using, it's, it's not for compliance, it's for land use and, and infrastructure protection, but it's not for compliance. However, I've, I add the caveat that, this, that the NHVR will ultimately uh, look at that data from a compliance point of view, but it's not the reason DTP is using that data. So, so that's it for me. Uh, I'm happy to take many questions. Okay, uh, I might dive in briefly. Thank you very much, Ian and Gavin, for that. That's wonderful. Um, we've got a, a long list of questions here, which is great. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll work through a few of them here, if that's all right. Um, uh, the first one is probably a little bit about cross-border travel. Um, now, Gavin, do you think you could talk to us a little bit about implications, if there are any implications for cross-border travel for operators, particularly going to New South Wales or South Australia? Um, the question in particular is asking for if there's any indication around um, policy developments in South Australia uh, around harmonising with Smart OBM and TMA. Um, there's no current plans that I'm aware of in South Australia. We work very closely with all jurisdictions across the country. Um, if hypothetically, and it is hypothetical because I'm not speaking on behalf of the South Australian government here, but if South Australia or someone else um, wanted to introduce a smart OBM scheme, then that would, that would be consistent um, with uh, the policy initiatives that have taken place along the eastern seaboard. So if I can stress one point here is that there's only one 
you only need to purchase one kind of technology um, fuel vehicles nationwide. Um, that's 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 what we're doing here. Um, we're very pleased with the, the work that's taken place between the eastern seaboard states. And if I can give Ian and his colleagues a bit of a pat on the back here, the work that they've done behind the scenes to harmonise things has been quite tremendous. Um, and we work very closely across all jurisdictions. This gives confidence to transport operators and the broader marketplace of technology providers because the last thing any of those two groups of stakeholders want is any divergence between jurisdictions when it comes to technology. It's bad for technology providers who have to make you know, bespoke investments in things as soon as there's departures, and it's bad for transport operators. So I think what we've been able to achieve to date has truly been tremendous and uh, the first of its kind in this country when it comes to onboard mass systems. Uh, Gavin, related question, um, and it's around um, availability of equipment. Uh, obviously, with COVID and everything else that's been going on, you know, international supply chains have been disrupted, and that includes for technology. Um, do we have any indication around, um, particularly, uh, the degree to which those uh, the equipment is ready to be fitted? I suppose we've worked very closely um, here at TCA with all the OBM system suppliers. Um, yes, they have experienced some challenges over the last little while um, during the, the dark days of COVID. I think we've come out the worst of it. Um, and and what's, what should be noted is, as other jurisdictions like New South Wales and Queensland have activated um, smart OBM schemes, um, that, has, that has driven some really positive energy into the smart OBM sector. So they're gearing up because they've got a positive pathway now in terms of their business plans based on these policy decisions. Now that's not to say that if if you're trying to meet the 30th of June deadline in in, uh, in Victoria and you don't have plans in place yet, well, you better get cracking because there's only a few weeks left in, in practicality. Um, and although the systems might be available, you still need to get them fitted and commissioned onto your trailers. And, and that uh, that can require a bit of logistical activity just to get that right. Thank you for that, Kevin. No, that's great. Um, OK, there's a couple of questions, really, which are, are delving into some details here. So I'm going to turn to you, Ian, if I can. Um, OK, so in Victoria, what CML or HML access would be available and I'm going to I'm going to quote this directly because this is not my area of expertise. A tandem tandem split axle quad side loader trailer combination. That's a bad. So yeah. So so this is I'm assuming, and uh, I, I can't see the the the, the comments. Uh, so I'm assuming this is a split axle uh, trailer that's, that they want to uh, 17 ton on the one tandem and 17 ton on the other tandem, being 34 ton. On the trailer, and if if the person who's asked, they can just tick a box. Not that I can see it, but uh, uh, can confirm that that uh, that'd be great. Um, but if that's if that's what, oh, maybe I've got the I don't have the questions thing. Um, that's maybe the reason. Anyway, be that as may. So yeah, we are actually seeing those uh, those sorts of uh, combinations. Um, to be honest, they uh, it's the question whether they get CML or HML because uh, they're split running at 17 on each. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a non-starter of a question. They're they're just non-standard vehicles, and so they have to be assessed by our bridge engineers. And from in Victoria, those will be automatically capped at this point at 50 and a half ton. So we've set the quad axle limit uh, for these uh, the, the 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 
quite axe limit on semis as the cap to begin with because we just don't have any real understanding of what these vehicles will do. But uh, essentially, um, at, even at their full mass, so 34 plus 23, which is essentially 57 and a half, uh, which is sort of, and I know these vehicles are trying to mimic a truck and dog, uh, they're, they're likely to get uh, limited access. I'm sorry, that's a torturous answer. But the, 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 the short mm. version is um, they would get um, limited access. And what I would say to operators is, uh, yes, I know what's what's uh, what's going on here. Is it Neil that asked the question? Neil Chambers. Uh, oh, is, uh, is, I couldn't I, possibly I, say that, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're um, certainly in terms of interpreting the vehicle. The follow-up has been that they are operating in New South Wales with a 30. Yes, I, I understand that. There's lots of stuff that operates in New South Wales. I just know our bridge stock, uh, and uh, it's it's a it's 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 a vehicle that I wouldn't be pushing right at the moment. That's that's what I would say. Uh, again, uh, we will start to look at split axles um, in Victoria. Um, but right at the moment, we're not there yet. Okay, no, that's great. Um, okay, so a couple more details. Um, uh, now let me just find this one. Right, okay, so uh, an, an operator has IAP. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, the, the option in, uh, in Victoria for HPFEs is that the uh, location monitoring can be either via IAP or TMA as the two applications. Um, the question here is, I have IAP, do I still need smart onboard mass? So can you just clarify that the smart onboard mass is independent of the uh, which app you choose for your location monitoring, right? Yeah, so, okay. So if you are, the way, I, so the IAP is relevant if you're running a HPFE, but you're running a cubic weight. So you're not going to exceed 68 and a half tonne, but for whatever reason, you need to be 30 or 36 and a half metres long because you're a vehicle that's likely to uh, cube out before you mass out. And so those vehicles, we don't require smart onboard mass on because they're no different to a B-double. We do require IAP or TMA. You can choose one or the other because um, we, because they are longer than a normal B-double and we need to understand where they are in terms of their route access. So that's the, that's the specific distinction and that goes for any vehicle type uh, which is longer but doesn't mass out of cubes out first. So does that answer the question for the person? Um, I, I think so. I'll ask them to, to follow up if that misses the mark, but um, that, that sounded like it did, right? Thank you very much, Ian. Um, next question is specifically around um, uh, extensions. And the question is uh, whether once once there's an extension in place that require replaces the necessity for a TMA enrolment during the period until 30 June, after which they'll have to have smart OBM and either TMA or or, um, or IAP in place. Um, can you just confirm that that's the case? So say that again. So uh, so John, just one thing. I just we just got to make a careful distinction. Yeah. Smart onboard mass only works with TMA, so I don't know, and I don't know, Gavin, if Correct. I can't remember if you yes. said that in your yeah. So if you and uh, but a lot of the IAP services do have inbuilt in them a TMA ability. It just has to be engaged, so you don't necessarily have to rip out your IAP unit and replace it with TMA. But you should speak to your uh, telematics provider as to whether the unit they have is also TMA compliant. And most of them, from what I've seen on the very long list on the TCA website. Are. I think there's very few that aren't. So that's first point. 
uh, I just want to make clear that if you're an operator who's been running IAP forever uh, and now needs smart onboard mass, just ask your telematics provider if that IAP can be downgraded, so to speak, uh, to TMA, because it needs to be, and then that's when the smart onboard mass can then talk to the TMA. But sorry, what would that? So I, I don't know if I've answered yeah. the question or just gone off. No, on no, tangent. I think that, that's right on the money. But I think the nuance of this question as well is: is are the extensions for TMA enrolments as well as smart onboard mass, or do you want people to get enrolled in TMA even when they don't have the smart onboard mass in place? And so um, you okay. need to be monitored for your location, right? So if you if you're a, so let's be clear, we're talking about the 1500 or so high productivity freight vehicles that are operating on the network today. Every single one of them right now as a minimum should have IAP as a minimum. So if you're an operator with one of those vehicles, the first thing you need to do is check and ring up your telematics provider and say, hey, the IAP unit I have in my truck, is that TMA compliant? If they say, yes, it is, then it should be and John and Gavin, this is your area, a flick of the switch to make it TMA compliant, and then that's done, you're, you're good to go. Um, so I don't believe you have to rip the IAP out and put a new system in, okay? There may be instances where you do, uh, but that's something that you, you need to speak to your telematics provider. So the extension is generally around, not that, but the smart onboard mass, because we've made the assumption that every vehicle that's running on IAP has probably got TMA ability anyway, because TMA is a subset of, uh, of, of IAP. I know we're talking in acronyms here, but I'm hoping that's clear to people. I'm happy to take this offline, although I will note that this is probably more a question for you, Gavin and John, than it is for me, because, because I don't think, that the, no one's, the extension's never been about, oh, I'm, I, it'll take too long for me to get TMA. Because again, the IAP unit should be compatible for TMA just with some tweaking. It's always been the scales, putting them on. That's what we've been giving the extension for. No, that's great. Thank you very that's much. Well, okay, so uh, getting into some interesting stuff here. There's a question about the visualisation that you showed and it looked like there was no data on the Hume uh, for that particular visualisation. I can reassure uh, that particular uh, question asker that that's just a matter of the, um, the data taking a little bit of time to load. The Hume is very, very, heavily used by um, smart OBM vehicles. So that's uh, that, that absolutely, there's a lot of there's a lot of data for that particular road. Um, coming back though. Just, Ian, just want to jump uh, in. I just want to jump in, Neil. It's well and truly sweated. <laughs> it's well and truly sweated. Trust me. <laughs> All right. Um, now there's some questions about enforcement. So let's turn our minds, um, you know, there's a question around what will be the penalties if caught overweight and with no smart onboard mass fitted? Yeah, so uh, that would be then uh, uh, an offence under not meeting your permit conditions. And that's whatever, I don't know the offences off the top of my head. Uh, so, you, so, But generally, if you're not meeting your permit conditions, I think they take you back to GML weights. Please do not quote me on this. I know this is being recorded, but so you, you need to go and speak to actual experts in this area. But I believe what happens is that you're potentially taken back to GML weights and it can be then treated as a severe offence, which means going to court and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, it's obviously something to, to keep in mind. But again, please don't quote me on that. I am doing that a bit uh, off the record. No, that's fine. But there will be penalties, uh, which would be um, non-compliance with the penalty and mass and load restraint type penalties as you Correct. would expect for it, it was non-compliant. 
Thank you for that. Correct. Um, okay, so the next question is uh, a question about whether it would be possible to send reminders to all current permit holders that have had OBM flagged as a requirement. Um, and I suppose that's that's more, probably more of a suggestion rather than a question to maybe a question no, to take on now. So it's a, no, it's a really good point. It's it's something that we have spoken to the NHVR about, and uh, so. Um, it's something that we will potentially uh, do through the NHVR. I've got to say that um, it's not, the portal doesn't make that as a straightforward thing. And we've we've also got to be very careful from a privacy point of view. Uh, so, we've, but, but but look, um, we'll, we'll, we'll exit, well, yeah, we'll have a, Paul, we'll have a, a look into that. Um, okay, so I might um, direct this uh, this next one perhaps to Gavin because I think it'll go to the heart of the question of sort of levels of assurance. But um, the question relates to why is OBM not used for enforcement? And perhaps you could clarify the difference between uh, sort of level three kind of in certificate level enforcement data versus level two and the kind of compliance activities that might be undertaken there. Okay, so yeah, it is a good question. Um, I'm, I'm going to be provocative and say anything can be used for enforcement. Um, um, the difference is how you treat um, or how much weight you weight, I don't know, part of the pun here, but how much weight you place on a particular piece of information or data. What I'm saying here is that the IAP generates what's known as non-compliance reports. And those non-compliance reports can be used as prima facie evidence that a breach of road access conditions has taken place. So it stands on its own two feet, so to speak. A non-compliance report is the equivalent in, in, in law uh, to a red light or speed camera image, as an example. When you talk about TMA data or smart OBM data, it's still quality data. It still has, um, it can still be used for compliance purposes it can't be used for direct enforcement. And if you're going to use smart OBM data to try and demonstrate that someone's been in breach of a, a mass loading or you know, dimension condition, um, then you would need to look at corroborating that, that data with other evidence. Um, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the NHVR here, um, but rather than looking at a particular breach, they're probably looking at a pattern of behaviour and they're probably looking at um, other uh, other information sources that give weight um, to what they're seeing through smart OBM data. It's an important nuance to understand. It's one of the reasons why the IAP does um, operate differently from, from TMA. And as I said earlier, uh, IAP through its non-compliance reports essentially shines a light on where there's potential breaches um, taking place by a particular vehicle. TMA does not do that. Um, and, and so the identification of potential breaches um, isn't, isn't stood up in lights. Um, and, and similarly, um, the, the, the quality or stand, legal standing of the data um, mm. is at a lower level than what the IAP um, is, is, is used for. I'm happy to jump in here as well. I think it gets to, and again, when, again, not the NHVR, but obviously we talk to them about it. This gets to this idea of a, uh, uh, rather than be punitive and constantly looking at uh, off-route uh, stuff to, to sort of have a more holistic view of the network, to look at some of the more sensitive parts of the network. So that's what TMA does allow, and so does Smart Onboard NAS. 
And then if we're seeing overloading or people going off route and they don't have a corroborating permit to, to allow for that, uh, that they um, that the, that the, they're sent to please explain because as you said, Gavin, there's not then it's not evidentiary quality. It's there just to start a conversation, so to speak, and then uh, it can be taken then from from there. But it's not evidentiary quality. As I said, we we have because we've transitioned our compliance uh, away from uh, DTP now now located with the NHVR. We take a hands off approach. We're using the data mostly for research and business case purposes, etc. But structure protection is still key for us. And thank you, thank you very much both for that because I think that's it is used for compliance and enforcement just in a slightly different way than the IAP is. I think that's the key message here. Um, the next question relates to your last point there, and perhaps Ian, I know we don't have a lot of time left, and there's a few more questions I'd really like to get to. So do you think you could just briefly talk a little bit about how you're planning or currently using um, this kind of telematics and onboard mass data to inform your decisions about infrastructure upgrades? Um, you know how how perhaps you might be using that to prioritise around uh, current mass restrictions and things like that. Yep, I'll be very quick. So my team, Ben Atkinson and Luther Cox, have got a list of uh, 25 bridges or thereabouts. It's actually more than that. They've actually got a very long list, but they've prioritised 25 or so bridges that we know based on telematics data and industry, talking to industry, but a lot of it's based on telematics data and which will now be reinforced through onboard mass data. Uh, that are the are most used and if we were to upgrade them, it would improve productivity straight away. So we've collected all that. We then give that to the region because uh, just quickly in the way it works in Victoria is each regional area does their own business cases through Treasury, but they seek advice from so-called head office to get that data because they don't have it themselves. So we provide that in a package and then that is an evidence base rather than just sort of a guess on what uh, what this will do for the for the operator. So that's that's how we're doing it. So we've got a prioritised list of structures that are key on our list that if we would wish could be strengthened tomorrow. And this data is key to that. Can I, I mean, just also pointing out some of the wonderful work you and the team are doing to roll this out to local councils. So this isn't just about the state network. You guys are working very closely with local councils across Victoria and, and encouraging them to use this kind of information to prioritise their works or, or in, in fact put forward more evidence-based funding bids. So yeah, I'll just quickly say that we, we, my team, Zeta and David Moore, Zeta Altman and David Moore and Jen Mears are going out and uh, speaking to each of the councils, rolling out TAP, not for compliance purposes, but for them to understand the land use of both from a, a movement and, and mass perspective so that they can put business cases up for pavement repair, for, for bridge repair, and et cetera, because at the moment they're also guessing. That's where this data is just so rich. When they see it, their eyes go Whoom, like that. It's it's a bit of a mind blow for them. All right, so we've got a couple of uh, a couple of more. Uh, we'll get back into some detailed questions now, if that's all right. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, so we'll try and get through these as, as fast as we can, but um, they're, they're, uh, they're really at the pointy end. So. Um, uh, quickly, we've got IAP on a 50.5 tonne quad axle single. Do I need to replace the IAP for Smart OBM? Again, speak to your telematics provider to make sure that that IAP unit isn't already TMA compatible or capable. But that's a quad axle yeah, semi. Go, go speak yep. to your telematics provider. And there is a list on the TCA website, John, you probably want to provide that because it's got a very good list there. Will do. Um, okay, do so the mass, 
So, so you do need smart onboard mass for that vehicle. So check with your telematics provider, the IAP can do TMA and then fit the scales. Yeah, will do. Um, so good question here. Is it kosher to enrol someone in the TMA HPFE scheme if they've, if they've not had the scales fitted yet and are operating under an extension? And the answer to that is absolutely because those enrolments allow us to keep an eye on things and more importantly, that will also be uh, you complying with your, um, your your location monitoring requirements. Um, uh, the next one is in relation to, uh, now let me just come back and pick that one up. Um, can you explain the difference between interim IAP, I think we mean interim OBM there, um, and the TMA smart OBM for people, and what does it? What do I need for over 68 and a half, ton, half tons? So can um, I do the 30, yeah. the 30 yeah. second version of this? Interim OBM was essentially a manual process. It used lots of Excel sheets and that. Victoria tried to join interim OBM. We were told we're not, we weren't able to because it wasn't scalable. Uh, there, were, there was only so many vehicles that actually could be in the scheme and then it was too much work for, for people because it had to do a lot of manual input. So that is being phased out in Queensland, interim OBM, and they're replacing it with smart onboard mass. So, and also it's being phased out in New South Wales and it's being replaced with smart onboard mass. And if I can uh, also add to that response from Ian, um, some, not all, but some existing OBM systems that were used in interim in New South Wales and Queensland can be upgraded and can be used as a smart OBM system, but check, um, check with your supplier. Um, they're the only ones that can tell you. It depends on what's being fitted to the vehicle and whether there's an upgrade path that can be um, that, that can be commissioned um, on your vehicle. Look, um, th there's a question around enforcement here as well. So if I can just tie a few threads here together. The first thing is in Victoria, the requirement is for smart onboard mass. So interim OBN isn't going to be, isn't going to meet that requirement. Um, it must be a smart onboard mass type approved system. So it has to meet those minimum quality thresholds. If it doesn't meet those, you're not compliant with your permit requirements. And you know, if you pulled over on the side of the road over a certain over the thresholds, um, the NHVR will be looking to have a chat with you. Interim OBM does not exist in Victoria, never has, never will, because it's it's, yeah. it's going to go anyway. Yeah. yeah. So we're looking at fully type approved systems for that. So the quality of the system, you know, I mean, it's it, it needs to meet that that threshold bar. Um, and uh, and in terms of compliance and enforcement, the NHVR is developing a uh, telematic compliance strategy, which um, the Smart OBM hopefully will be fitting within. And obviously, Ian, you'll be putting forward your two cents worth of what you would like to see in that, I'm assuming. So the way this will play through um, is certainly to reassure the person that's asking this, um, you know, people running around with either low quality systems or no quality systems are, are likely to get caught out in that process. So. Uh, we'd encourage you to comply as a family message out of that one. Um, last question here, are wharf precinct permits towards these requirements? No. Uh, oh, sorry, are wharf, wharf precinct I know what that question is. If it's asking about super B doubles that run on the wharf, uh, so I'm, so I'm just not jumping in, John, because I'm pretty sure I know what that is. The Super B doubles running at 117 and 109 tonne are exempt from all of this. They're actually not high productivity freight vehicles under any of these schemes. They are a legacy vehicle. They will always be exempt. They will never be required to uh, run under this. So uh, if you're running um, uh, those Super B doubles uh, that have been running in Victoria for 100,000 years, uh, you're good to go.
Okay, thank you very much. That is fantastic. And uh, no other questions, but I do want to have a couple of quick corrections. Ian, you, you've been underselling things. You've been saying 1,500. I can tell you we've got 1,788 HPFPs enrolled currently and another 51. Sorry, that includes 51 that uh, are enrolled in our sort of no mass scheme. So high productivity freight vehicles that don't need OBM. So uh, yes, uh, industry's done a wonderful job of, of gearing up and um, getting access to those uh, high productivity um, opportunities you've been offering. I might hand back to you, at Katarina. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Ian. And thank you, everyone, for your wonderful questions. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much, everyone, for your presentation and uh, to everyone for your questions. Um, just a quick slide uh, to let you know about our upcoming webinars. If you're interested in any of them, please visit our website and register. Um, and there will also be a, a survey uh, when we close out today's session. So please take a couple of minutes, send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Once again, today's session has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.